this past week, my wife and I were in New Orleans at a pastor's gathering where all of our churches that are kind of networked together as family, all of our pastors get together and we connect and it's, it's an awesome time. And when I was there, I kept getting phone calls from people in our church. And then the previous week before that, I kept talking to people who just seemed like we're in these hopeless situations. Um, and the best way that I could describe it was it, it, it seemed like people were in a desert with no resources. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I've heard over and over people in financial situations, people have got bad health diagnosis, people who have been struggling in their marriage or their relationships or friendships or where, wherever they're at right now. And I felt like God simply just sent me here today to tell somebody, I don't know who it is, but don't quit right now. Don't quit too early. Because here's what I've recognized in my own life. I know for a fact that I have missed out on God breaking through in my life because I quit a little too soon. And I wonder if it would be the same for you. How many breakthroughs have we missed out on? And how many moves of God have we not seen because we allowed life to beat us up and we quit too early? So, so if you get anything that I say this morning, just remember this. Don't quit. I know it's difficult. I know you find yourself in a desert and you're looking around going, God, there's no resources, God. Like, I don't know if you see my situation. I don't know what you've been told this past week. I don't know what the diagnosis has been. I don't know what your financial situation looks like. I don't, maybe you're running a business and you're going, God, like it's over. Um, and here's what I want you to understand. And I want to encourage you through the scriptures. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18 says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying. You ever feel like that? Like, hey, God, do you see me here <laughs> struggling right here down on earth? It says, our spirits are being renewed every day. Verse 17, for our present troubles are small. And you're like, oh, time out. God, that word doesn't make sense because you want to read it and you want to go, my present troubles are massive. <laughs> They're huge. My present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So watch this. So we don't look at our troubles. We can see now, rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. Here's what I want you to understand. When you are, a desert, when you are in a desert, there are things that God is doing in and through your life that you can't see that you don't know that he's working. It says, for the things we see now, that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And listen, when you're in a desert, these are usually the last words that you want to hear. I, I don't know about you, but when I'm in tough times of life, I'm just being straight up honest with you. The last thing that I want somebody to do is put their hand on me and go, you're going to make it through it. I'm like, well, let's trade places for a second then. You know, like, <laughs> all right, let me just pray for you, brother. Like, get your hand off of me. You know what I mean? Anybody ever feel like that? Like when you are in that situation, you don't want somebody to tell, it's just, it's gonna be okay. So, but here's what this scripture is saying. It's not that. It's not saying, oh, you know, you're gonna be all right. Your troubles are small. Don't worry about it. It's saying this. The same God that placed planets into orbit, the same God that resurrected people from the grave, the same God that put his hands on blind eyes, we serve the same God who works miracles. How many of you guys have ever seen a miracle? Some of you? Yeah? Okay. I don't know about you, but I've never been to a funeral where somebody gets up out of the casket. Like, if I did, <laughs> like that'd freak me out, right? Here's what I find interesting, especially in the American church, is that uh, we talk about miracles. We're fascinated with miracles. 
We love miracles. Some of us even believe in miracles. But here's the problem. Many of us don't want to be in the situation to need a miracle. So we talk about it and we're fascinated by it and we beg God to see them. But here's what I want you to understand. Could it be that the desert that you find yourself in now, the desert of doubt, the desert of insecurity, the desert of financial whatever struggle, could it be that that is actually your opportunity to see a God work in a way that you've never seen him work before in your life? See, we, we talk about the power of God. We're fascinated by the power of God. But when we get in troubling times, we forget about it. We forget that God is a God who resurrects dead things. See, we want God to change our circumstances now, <laughs> right? But here's what I want you to understand. And I know this is not what we want to hear, but there is much to be learned in the desert. There is much to be learned when we find ourselves in situations where we look at our resources and we go, God, I don't know if you've seen what I have, but it's not much. And God's simple reply is, I don't know if you've heard about me, but there is nothing that is impossible for me. Nothing is impossible for God. Here's what I said at nine o'clock, and I find this to be so true, even in my own life. I wonder how many miracles we miss because we're so busy trying not to need one. I wonder how many times we miss out on the miraculous because we're so busy trying not to need one. God, I got it. I'll figure it out. Show of hands if you like control. You probably drove here this morning. Right? <laughs> we love to be in control. And, and here's what's crazy. All of us, I, I guarantee you I could interview every single person in this service and say, how many of you want to see God move? Me. We all want to see it. We all want to experience the miraculous. But God says, if you want to experience it, you actually have to be in a position to need it. So here's what happens. We go, God, I, I want the miracle. And God says, well, oftentimes before you can get a miracle, I've got to take you through a desert. And there's actually a story that I want to base this around in Exodus 17. You know the story. It's the story of the children of Israel. So you have these, this entire ethnic group of people who are captive in slavery in Egypt for over 200 years. And they're crying out and they're begging, like, God set us free. And, and it may look like some of your prayers. Maybe you've been looking at your situation, and, and it's not like you just need a miracle because you stumbled across a bad situation that's been like that for a week. Maybe it's been like that for 10, 20 years. And you're looking at the landscape of your life going, God set me free. And then the crazy thing is, with the children of Israel, he finally does. He sets them free, and when they get free, their freedom does not look like what they thought it was going to look like. Here's what we have to understand. Oftentimes, the path that God takes us down looks nothing like we intended it to be. So let me read this, Exodus 17, verse 1 through 2. Now, this very first line kind of sets it all up. Directed by God, the whole company of Israel moved on by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. Now, listen, they weren't in the desert because Moses made a bad navigation error. <laughs> They weren't in the desert because they, it was their own poor choices. I want you to understand something. They were in the desert because God sent them there. They were in the desert because that was where God led them. Why would God do that? Because watch this. They set up camp in Rephidim, and there wasn't a drop of water for the people to drink. Now, I don't know about you, 
But you're going, okay, hold on, God. You just set us free, and now we're in a desert with no resources. So maybe you look at your life right now, and you go, okay, God, I'm in a desert, and I've got no resources. Like, I, I need a financial breakthrough. My marriage is a wreck, or whatever your situation is. And you're looking at the landscape of your life going, I don't have any resources. There's nothing that I have. I would imagine at this point in the desert, you reach a place where your soul gets depleted, right? Your spirit begins to grow tired. And usually in those moments, you can do one of two things. You either press in to seek the Lord or you pull back going, there's nothing that I can do. And the truth is, oftentimes when you're in the desert, there is nothing you can do. And the only hope that you have is to rely on a God that works miracles in the desert. See, in the desert, and this is obviously a metaphor for our lives and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but oftentimes in the desert, we're tempted to believe in the mirage rather than the miracle. So the mirage is the thing in our life that we kind of see out in the future. If only I had that, then I would be happy. So if only I had that husband, if only I could get a date, (laughs) if only I had that car, if only I had that house, if only I had more money, I would be happy. And the truth is, oftentimes we can achieve the things that we think that are going to bring us happiness, and then we get them, and we realize they fail us pretty quickly. And you begin to ask yourself when you're seeking out the morale, like, will God really provide for me? Will God really protect me? Will God really heal me? Some of us have been dealing with physical ailments for a long time. And you start asking the question, like, is God really good? Is God really going to heal me? So we keep reading in the story, Exodus 17. It says, Moses cried out in prayer to God. What can I do with these people? I love that. God, you put me in the desert and you gave me a million people. And they all want to kill me. What can I do with these people? Any minute now, they will kill me. I just find this funny if you read it. God said to Moses, go out ahead to the people, taking with you some elders of the the Israel. Take the staff you use to strike the Nile and go. Now, just play this out for a second. You got a million plus people that want to kill you because they're out in the desert. They're thirsty. How many of you women, because I know this, my wife is not here in this service, so I can say this. (laughs) How many of you get a little crazy when you get hungry? My wife calls it hangry. Uh, We've been on so many dates before where we're driving and she's like, you're going to have to, I have to eat now. I remember, I remember often when we were younger, I'm like, no, you're going to wait till we get to the restaurant. I want to eat something good. Like now when she says that, I'm pulling over right now, <laughs> right? So you got this million plus people. They're hungry, they're thirsty, and Moses has to come, he has to come back and the people are like, what did God say? He said to grab my stick. <laughs> and he's going to send me to a rock. Like, I don't know if, I, if like logically thinking, I'd be like, all right, kill him, <laughs> you know? <laughs> kill him. He doesn't know what he's doing. He surely is not hearing from the Lord. But there's a a line in the last end of verse 6 that says, take the staff that you use to strike the Nile. God is trying to teach Moses something in this moment, because that is the same staff when he was arguing with the Egyptian Pharaoh that he threw down and it turned into a snake and it ate the other magician snakes. 
It's the same staff that when they got to the Red Sea, when God had finally let them go and Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his entire army after the the Israel people. And they get up to this river and they look at the circumstance of their life and go, well, God set us free and now surely we're going to drown because we can't cross this river. God says, touch your staff on the water and it parts the water. So here's what God is saying. He's not just saying, Moses, grab the staff. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Moses, grab hold of who I am. Remember who I am. That I'm the God that split the seas. I'm the God that did, that defied logic with the staff. So I want to ask you a question. What is your staff? What is the place that you can revisit in your own life to remember that God was good to you in the past and he's still going to do it for you again? Because I don't know about you, but when I go through tough times, I have amnesia really quick. What are we going to do now? And God's just saying, wait, hold, hold time out. Like, haven't I provided for you all the way up until this point? And it's so easy to quit. Here's what you have to understand this morning. If you are dealing with a desert, if you're walking through a dry time, faith is not abundance. Faith is a staff and a rock and going, I don't know how any of that equals water, but it doesn't. But somehow God's going to transform it into water. Just because logic in the natural order says that it's over does not mean that it's over in God's book. God completely defines logic. He completely defines the natural order. He looks at the circumstances of your life, and guess what? He's not stressed out. He's not pacing in heaven anxiously trying to figure out how he's going to solve your problem. Because <laughs> we got to go back. Like This is the same God who put planets in order. This is the same God who has the earth on a certain rotation, and if it was any closer to the sun, it would burn up, and it was, if it was a little bit further from the sun, it would freeze. This is the same God we can look into these incredible telescopes and still discover new galaxies. This is the same God who called dead men out of tombs. The same God who just spit in the mud, and he made some mud, and he rubbed it on a blind man's eye and said, open your eyes, you can see. We are so quick to forget who God is. And I'll tell you why, especially in America, we're so quick to forget who God is because we don't believe that he is a miracle worker. We want him to be a convenience worker. Like, God, heal me now. God, do something in me now. Like some of you freak out if your Netflix buffers for two seconds, right? (laughs) This internet is terrible. Like we want things now. So watch, Exodus 17, verse 6. This is God. It says, I'm going to be present before you there on the rock of Horeb. Now watch what God says. You will strike the the rock, water will gush out, and people will drink from it. Now this is exactly what plays out in the story. He hits the rock and water begins to come out. Now, logically, a staff in a rock does not equal water. Like if your child, if you said, hey, go to the refrigerator and get me some water, and they brought you back a rock and a stick, you'd be like, boy, go get me some water, right? Here's what I want you to understand. The impossible is possible because God only knows possible. Like God does not, the word impossible is not even in his vocabulary. I'm simply beginning to wonder by reading this story if miracles only happen when we're desperate enough. 
when we finally come to the end of ourselves and going, I've got nothing left to give. And God, here's what I got in my hand. I got a rock and I got a staff and that's it. I don't know what you can do with that, but figure it out. See, we see over 40 miracles in the New Testament. Now, the crazy thing is, is that's, that's only the ones recorded. Uh, we know there's probably thousands of them that happen. I mean, we see water turn into wine. We see lepers healed. We see the lame walk. We see blind eyes open. We even see dead men walk out of tombs. Now, what do all these situations have in common? All these situations have one thing in common. They were in a position where unless God showed up, it wouldn't be good. So as I said earlier, we all want a miracle, but we often don't want to be in the position to meet a miracle. But if you find yourself in a desert this morning, you are a prime candidate for a miracle. So you may look at the resources of your life and say, God, I don't have anything. And God's saying, you're forgetting who I am. You're forgetting who I am. This is what God is doing all throughout this story. He's simply trying to remind Moses and the children of Israel, you have to grab hold of who I am. You see, Jesus is not a resource. He's not an additive to our life. He is our source of life. And oftentimes, we look at Jesus as a convenient, like, God, I just need you to benefit my life. Just help me be a little bit more comfortable. I need you to be less anxious, less depressed whatever it may be, without looking and viewing Jesus as he is the only source of hope. Like if you want to live a joyful life, it is wrapped up in Jesus. See, when Jesus becomes your source, your focus begins to look a whole lot different. You start to see things through a different lens. And here's what you gotta understand. You have to start, you have to stop focusing on what you don't have and start focusing on what you have and God will take what you have and transform it into something that only he can do. Anybody old enough to remember Polaroids? Anybody old enough to remember Polaroids that had the sticky film on them and when you would take the paper, if you peeled it off too quick, the, the, the picture would be overexposed and underdeveloped? There was like this waiting period that you have to have on the Polaroid. That's a picture of many of our lives. Because that's what the desert is for. And oftentimes we find ourselves in the desert and, and it's like that Polaroid film. We pull it off too quick. We're like, God, I need you now. Show up now. And we peel it off too quickly. And God says, the reason that you're not getting the results that you need is because you're overexposed and underdeveloped. You need the desert. Now, <laughs> I know this is not what we want to hear when we're in the desert, right? Like, can you give me something else? And God's saying, no, no, no. There's a space in the desert where I develop only what I can develop. There's a place in the desert where you're going to connect with me that you would never connect with me if you had everything that you needed. Years ago in 2010, when the recession hit our area and all the, everybody remembers this, especially if you're from South Louisiana, this was before we even started Crowley, this church, and I was with my dad at the Jennings Church. I was leading worship there and doing youth and all kinds of other things. And uh, man, we got hit so hard in the recession, we had to let almost everybody go. And uh, I remember just having the difficult conversation, and my dad just like, okay, we, we can't pay anyone. And so I had to go out, and I, ended, I remember getting a job in Baton Rouge. I started directing and filming movies and TV shows and all that other kind of stuff. And I remember going like, 
man, this is not what I'm, I, I enjoy this, this is fun, but this is not my purpose. And I remember feeling so defeated and so deflated, but I look back on that now, those two years of my life going, that is what prepared me and got me ready for what I'm doing right now. Because there was a desperation in me that I've never had in my life. I was driving every single day from Jennings to Baton Rouge, commuting back and forth hour and 45 minutes almost every way, around 30 minutes. I remember in that hour and 30 minutes, it was just, I would listen to podcasts, I would listen to Bible, I would listen to worship music, and man, my relationship with Jesus began to flourish. And sometimes God sends us into the desert because there's things out of us that would not get out of us unless we were in the desert. You may not want to hear this, but many of us need the desert. Because it's like that Polaroid, God's saying, hold on, let's leave the film on a little bit longer so we can get the true colors. And we're going, no, no, God, I want to peel it off now. He says, I mean, you can peel it off now, but the things that you're going to face, you're not going to be able to face them. You're not going to be ready for them. You're not going to be developed. This is why we have so many immature Christians. When they fight the crisis and they fight things that are difficult, it, it crushes them. And it's not because their God isn't big enough, it's because they don't know who they are and they don't remember the God that they serve. So this is 1 Peter 1.7. It says, even though you have put up with every kind of aggravation, you've been there? <laughs> even though, God's saying, even though you've put up with every frustration, in the meantime, pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith, now watch this, this is huge. Genuine faith put through suffering comes out genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. Now, this line is huge. It says, it's your faith, not your gold. What, what is God saying there? It's your faith that is being built up when you go through difficult times, when you walk through the desert. This is how God shapes us. The way that God grows us up is he puts us through difficult times. It's crazy when you read the New Testament, the gospel spread because of one thing, suffering. And we don't like to talk about this in church. We're like, no, 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 just skip that part. Tell me how good God is and how he's going to benefit my life, right? But, but the truth is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ spread all throughout the earth because of suffering. And I'll, and I'll show you why. So whenever Jesus dies, ascends, goes to heaven, and Peter begins to start preaching, and all the disciples start preaching, well, you have this, this Roman like, empire that is saying, no, this gospel, this Jesus is upsetting our way of life, and we've got to end it. So they begin to send all these men after these disciples to put them to death. So here's what happens. All the disciples, because they're being tormented, because they're you know, being chased, hunted, they begin to spread out into different countries. And every country they would land in, they begin to preach the gospel. And then when they get found out there, they'd go further and move again. So the good news of Jesus began to spread because of suffering. See, it's your faith that speaks to your desert, not your abundance. Because here's the truth, when you find yourself in the desert, when you find yourself with no resources, but you can still find yourself with some joy, man, you know that you've tapped into something that you've never had before. Or you can step away and go, man, the world is burning down around me, but I know that God's still good. 
Remember, all Moses had was a staff and a rock. And that's not even the right ingredients for water. (laughs) So in order to experience a miracle in the desert, all God needs is what you have. But it's so easy to focus on what we don't have, isn't it? Now, I know what some of you are thinking by now. Some of you are thinking, that's great, but my faith is shot. It's dead. (laughs) It's gone. Because I've walked through this battle or this journey for a long time, and God has not proved himself faithful to me. I don't know where he's been. I've cried out. I've screamed out. My soul is tired. My spirit is depleted. Like, what do I do now? This is why you have to anchor yourself to a resurrecting king. See, the resurrection is not just a historical fact. It's a key to your miracle. The resurrection is not something that we just celebrate on Easter once every year. We don't look back at it and say, well, oh, that's a nice thing that happened. No, that's the power that we have the ability to tap into. That Jesus looks at things that you look at and say, oh, it's dead. And Jesus says, no, it's just sleeping. I love that story with Lazarus when they say, he's dead, God. And Jesus is like, no, he's just sleeping. Uh, no, like we mummified him. Like he doesn't have any blood in him. We removed his organs. He's dead. And Jesus is like, no, nah, he's just sleeping. <laughs> like, I don't know, but you missed it, God. He died. Listen, that is what Jesus looks at some of our circumstances right now where we back away and we go, no, it's, it's over, it's dead. I've lost all hope. And Jesus says, no, it's just sleeping. We need the desert. The times in my life that I have grown up the most and I have fallen more in love with Jesus have often been the most difficult times in my life. The resurrection of Jesus defied all logic, defied all the the natural order. But the same God who defeated death is the same God that leans into your desert right now and says, what do you have? Because I can work with that. See, in Ezekiel chapter 37, let me give you a little context before I read it. The people of Israel are in complete disarray. They've lived a life that is completely displeasing to God, and there's all kinds of chaos. And as an outsider, people will look at these people and say, man, they're hopeless. Like, there's nothing, like, it was so wicked, it was so sinful, you'd look at it and say, Man, there's, there's nothing that can be done. The best thing that we should do is destroy everything and just start over again. And God gives the prophet Ezekiel this vision. He, he asked Ezekiel a question. He says, what do you say about these people, Ezekiel? What do you say that I should do? And he responds, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to that. And he gives Ezekiel this vision. And this is Ezekiel 37, 7 through 8. It says, suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. If you have a Bible, highlight this part, or if you're on your phone, touch the part. <laughs> the bones of each body came together. I'm going to revisit that in just a second. And attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. The skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. That is an insane story. 
So Ezekiel walks down to this valley of this dry bones, and God says, what do you say of these bones? He said, well, they're dead. <laughs> it's quite obvious. They've lived their life. There is no life left. And God begins to prophesy over them and they begin, these bones begin to come together. Here's what I have learned in the desert. Oftentimes, because life happens and life can be difficult, people happen, circumstances happen, we have pieces of ourselves scattered all over the place. We've got some hurt here, we've got some hurt here, we've got some offense here, we've got some wounds over here. And oftentimes, here's what God is doing in the desert. He's taking all of your dry bones and he's bringing them back together again. Now, why does he do that? Why does he care to lean into that? Because many of us are hiding ugly situations under pretty skin. And before he can ever repair you, he's got to bring those bones back together again. He looks at the things that you said, no, it's dead. And God says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to reconstruct everything. So I want you to get a picture of God like this. God is not an interior designer. He's a construction worker. He doesn't come into the house and go, okay, let's just move that picture over there. Let's paint this wall white. God says, no, no, get the wrecking ball, bulldoze the house, and let's start over. <laughs> and, and here's what we, we're like, no, no, God, hold on. Ho hold on before you, before you do that. <laughs> I like this wall. And God says, but if you would just let me knock down this wall, I could do a whole lot more with it. So what, here's what God does in the desert. He begins to reconstruct us the wounds that we've suppressed, the things that we've pushed down, the things that we haven't dealt with in a long time. God says, listen, if you're gonna be the person that I've made you to be, we've gotta do some reconstruction. And oftentimes when we find ourselves in the desert, it finally brings us to this place where we have this open posture of surrender of going, all right, God, I've got nothing left. Do what you need to do. Because here's the truth. Let's just be honest. We find ourselves in a situation where everything is going smooth. Do we really need God? We do, but we live life as if we don't. Because <laughs> why? Well, there's money in the bank. I've got a good job. My marriage is going great. All these things are working for us. So oftentimes, God allows us to revisit the desert to realize how fragile life is. I mean, you see this every single day, how fragile. You can open up your news app, and what do you see? Somebody's dying every day. You open up Facebook, you see another obituary. A 19-year-old, a 20-year-old. Life is fragile. God allows the desert in our lives so that he can reconstruct us. So here's what happens. He begins to bring the bones back together again, and there's tendons and flesh that begin to grow back on it. And here's what I love about the story. It's kind of like Ezekiel looks at it and goes, okay cool miracle God but he's still dead <laughs> isn't that how we are in our life like oh God great thanks for providing but I still got this <laughs> it's like you brought the bones back together but what good is it watch this then he said to me speak a prophetic message to the wind son of man speak a prophetic message and say this is what the sovereign Lord says come O breath from the four winds breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again so so this is huge. So God is saying, this is what you need to do to your situation. Speak to it. Now watch. Ezekiel says, so I spoke the message as he commanded me, 
and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. You have to start speaking faith into your desert. And once you do that, God will breathe life. Listen to me. If you keep looking at your situation and saying it's hopeless and it's over, what do you think you're prophesying over the situation? You're already prophesying death over it. God's saying, no, look at the situation. Look at what you have. I know it's a staff. I know it's a rock. I know it doesn't make much sense to you. But look at it and go, you know what, God? You're going to come through with what I have. However bad the bank account looks, however bad the diagnosis is, here's what I know about our God. Even if God chooses not to heal us here on this earth, one day we will be with him face to face and everything will be made right. I can't explain why some of the things happen in this world. I would rather not live my life trying to answer every single question. Because I don't know about, you've probably figured this out by now, but there's just things that we look at and there's no answer for it. (laughs) I would rather live my life going, here's one thing that I am certain of. Even though I don't always understand it, I will live the rest of my life knowing that God is good to me. And every situation that does happen to me, even though it doesn't feel good, I'm going to anchor myself to the fact that God has a better plan for me. He sees further down the road than I do. And whatever he's doing in me right now, it's for, my, for his good and my benefit. And that's what you have to understand. You may find yourself in the desert right now, and maybe you are just angry. You're angry at God. Maybe you've reached this point where you're just kind of distant. You're just kind of cold. I only came here today to tell you, whatever your situation, whatever your desert may look like, we serve a God who resurrects dead things. And you may look at something in your life and it looks dead. It looks over. It looks distant. It looks like it's never going to sort itself out or work itself out. But if we can surrender to the fact that God is a miracle worker, we have to remember that. That God takes dead things and he breathes life back into them. And listen, the desert, and I'll close with this, the desert is not a punishment. It's not God going, oh, you've done all this, so I'm going to send you there. It's not a punishment. It's not because he's angry at you. It's not because he's frustrated at you. It's not because he looks at your life and go, well, you've done all these things, so I'm just going to put you in this place. No, the desert is a place where we can actually encounter a grace and mercy that we've never had before. The desert is a place where we reconnect with the God who we've lost sight of. The desert is a place where all we've got is a rod and a rock, and we go, okay, God, I'm just going to trust in you because that's all I know how to do right now. We, we step back, and we go, all right, it's on you. Listen, here's what you have to understand. You have enough worry in the days to come. Stop borrowing worry from tomorrow and bring it in today. Because there's not, how many know there's just some situations there's nothing you can do? You can't do anything. So why worry about it? So I want to close with this. My youngest daughter, she's 11 months old, Caroline. And uh, she is so much different than Amelia. 
Amelia, who is my six-year-old, when I remember when she was younger, and I would hold her and just throw her up in the air a little bit. You know how some babies, she's like, <laughs> they like freak her out. She'd panic, and she, Amelia is the, she is the definition of a girl. She loves everything girly. She's super, pr- like, she's super prissy. She puts on, she wakes up, I'm not kidding you. She'll wake up, at, she has to be at school for like 7.15. She'll wake up a little early so she can wear a dress for about 10 minutes and then change into her school uniform. That is not a joke. She loves girly stuff. Now, I don't know exactly what Caroline's personality is going to be like. She's 11 months old, but she, I know that she is different than Amelia. I can take Caroline, I can throw her up, and she will laugh. She loves it. She's fearless. One of the things that she loves to do is when my wife and I in the morning are sitting down, my wife has this little chair that she sits in, and we have this long couch that I usually sit in to drink coffee, and I'll put Caroline next to me, and she'll sit there for a whole two seconds. You know, she's a baby. And she loves to just run or like crawl along the couch. And and I noticed something the other day. It's just so funny because she loves to crawl along the couch and she'll pull herself up on the ledge of it and then just dive head first off. (laughs) Now, I have her foot. (laughs) Some are like, I can't believe this. But I noticed something the other day. As she's crawling along this couch and she would just die. She had full, like, it wasn't even a, she's, in her mind, she's like, I'm not going to hit the floor. Dad's got me. And her mind is just like, this is, this is awesome. Dive. <laughs> right? Listen, most of us have to return back to that childlike faith. We complicate things too much. Well, Zach, what do I do? What's the next step? Just trust God. Uh, well, no, 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 tell me, I mean, I, need, I know there's things I need to do. No, we have to return to this childlike faith. Listen, God's got you. He knows your situation, and sometimes we just got to jump. Knowing that God's going, I got the situation. I don't know about you, but I usually like to have some, or, well, not, I'd be lying if I said that. My, li- my wife loves to have things figured out. I'm kind of just like, whatever. <laughs> but sometimes... When you trust God, it doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't line up. You're like, well, how? Well, if I make this step, well, then what's going to be the next one that I make? God's just like, just, just trust me. But I don't like that, God. <laughs> I know you don't, and that's why it's so hard for you to trust. So here's all I'm, doing, all I'm calling you to do today is just return to that childlike faith that you had when you were that, that baby that would put on the couch and you'd dive off knowing that your parent has you. That's what we've got to return back to. We've overcomplicated things. I need to do this, and then what what do I do when I get to this situation, and do I pray like this? Do I need to ask God this? Oh, I didn't pray that, so he's not taking care of me this. Like, God's just saying, just trust me. That's it. So here's what I do. Every just head bowed, every eye closed in this room.